before we open the word of the Lord, let us bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace. Thou hast the words of eternal life, and to whom else can we go? Lord, we thank thee for your words of promise, your words of life. And we pray that while we have this opportunity, that we will not be distracted by anything else, but to focus on what your Holy Spirit will be teaching us. Direct the thoughts and the words of the speaker and open the hearts of the hearers. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, for this morning's text, I'd like to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 11. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard, that is, John the Baptist had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto, him, unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? Prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, that hath not risen, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from that, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid at the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have, been, would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Jesus had just finished commissioning his tenders or twelve disciples in chapter 10 of Matthew and sending them out two by two to go from city to city to preach the good news of the kingdom and he instructed them the difficulties that they would face in doing so that discipleship has a cost but it is not the cost that determines whether you become a disciple or not. It's whether you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of the disciples who became apostles in chapter 10, they were sent forth, suffered greatly for the kingdom of God's sake, for Christ's sake. John suffered himself, the disciple that loved the Lord, that lay on his breast at the Last Supper. Even though he wasn't, from all accounts, martyred, yet he suffered immensely on the Isle of Patmos, where God had given him these great visions which he penned in the book of Revelation. Judas took his own life after he realized he had betrayed the Lord, after he was greatly convicted that he had betrayed innocent blood. But the other ten, as far as we know, had suffered great um, tragedy, at least in the eyes of the world. But I'm sure they themselves felt it a, a privilege and an honor to die for the name of the Lord. In the 11th chapter of Matthew, we see that Jesus continued his own ministry. He continued his own ministry. He says, when he made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. So while the other disciples were out doing the Lord's will in preaching to the cities of the nation of Israel, Jesus himself continued his ministry. And it came to the ears of John, the Baptist, who was in prison, that there was this man performing these great miracles all over the land. If you read in the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew, three chapters from this one, you will see why John the Baptist ended up in prison. The scripture plainly tells us that John the Baptist had told Herod that it was unlawful to be married to his brother's wife. And after much ado, uh, when the occasion was right, um, Herod's wife's daughter danced for him and it pleased him so much that uh, he told her that he'd give her anything that she wanted on his birthday and to the half of his kingdom, whatever I think it was. And so she went and conferred with her mother and the mother said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter, on a charger. Herod was convicted. That's not what he wanted to do. He knew that there was something in this man, John the Baptist, 
But because of his oath, he fulfilled the wishes and he had him killed. But prior to that, he was imprisoned because of his his uh, char- or his uh, telling of Herod that he was unlawfully wedded to his brother's wife. The historian Josephus describes this in his writings, historical writings. And he says that John the Baptist was executed around about 32 AD. He was two years in prison. That means not long after John the Baptist had introduced Jesus Christ as the Messiah to the world, because that was his mission. He was the forerunner according to Isaiah 40. He was the forerunner according to the Gospels that he went ahead of Jesus to prepare the way of the Lord. Let every mountain be abased and every valley be exalted. Make, make his path straight and make way and preparation for the coming of the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the same John the Baptist that was on the river Jordan. He had disciples. Um, it is believed that Peter and Andrew were his disciples. And when he saw Jesus approaching him one day on the river Jordan, he he stopped and he and he must have pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he knew him. He was given a sign. And the and Jesus coming to John the Baptist wanted to be baptized of him. And he said, Lord, you want me to baptize you? you? I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said to him, suffer it so for now. Let it be so for now that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And I'm wondering what that righteousness was. In, in which way was the righteousness of God fulfilled? In that Jesus was baptized. After all, John the Baptist was baptizing for the remission of sin. His was a baptism of repentance. But Jesus was without sin. So in which way was this of benefit that Jesus would now be baptized of John? You may think of more, but one thing that comes to my mind was is that why Jesus had to come in the first place? Why, if God was going to save the world from sin or give them the opportunity to be saved from sin, why did he even have to send Jesus? Why couldn't he have spoken from heaven and made a decree, if you do this and this, you will be saved? It is very clear from Scripture that one of the reasons, apart from the prophecies that he would come, that he'd be born of a woman, and that he would be um, the Messiah in the flesh, apart from that, the Scripture tells us that Jesus was a high priest for his people that would represent his people to God. And as that high priest, he would be not be unaffected by our infirmities. He would feel what we feel. He would live how we live. He would be among us and show them that I care enough for you that I want to know how what it's like to be in the flesh and I want to feel everything, all the pain that you feel. And yet the scripture says he was without sin. And I, I believe in, in, in that fashion he came and he wanted to be baptized as man. It was a gesture and a sign to man that he's willing to succumb to be a part of mankind and he made himself subject to be immersed into this world and saying, I'm one of you. And I want you to know that I understand who you are, why you are in this predicament. In Philippians chapter 2, 
It's such a beautiful passage of this submission of Christ to condescend into the hands of sinful men. Chapter 2 it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that word robbery means thought it not something to be grasped at, something to be to cling to as it's mine. I'm not going to give this away to anyone. Thought it not robbery to grasp at this to be equal with God and, 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 and show pomp and, and pride in this. But he humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He submitted himself to an event in the life of sinful man that he had to die. He submitted himself to death. And in so doing, he identified with mankind by saying, I'm, I want to be baptized. In, do, in so doing, he fulfilled the righteousness of God, that God is righteous, that God is just. And that God will be just in forgiving mankind because of what was going to follow because he would submit himself unto death, even the death of the cross. So here we have this faithful servant of God, John the Baptist. He's in prison for two years. Josephus says that he was in a, um, a prison in the fortress of Machairus. Machairus is on the, on the east side of Jordan, in where the nation of Jordan is today, about 15 or 20 miles south, southeast of of the mouth of the Jordan River, Jericho. And for two years he was in prison. For two years he must have been wondering, is this it for me? He spent maybe several months prophesying and preaching and, 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 and baptizing those that would come to him. And now he was very isolated from the nation he loved. But what caught my attention here, he had access to his disciples. I thought maybe he was in a, some uh, solitudinal cell where he was... But he had access to the disciples because he sent two of his disciples to find out who is this man that is performing all these miracles. You know, when we read this through in five minutes, we do not grasp the atmosphere, the feelings and the emotions that John was going through at the time, maybe feeling isolated, uh, um, abandoned. Uh, is this it for me? Perhaps peering over the Jordan and the Dead Sea and seeing in the distance the land that God had promised the nation of Israel where he grew up. As I read that this morning, I thought about Moses. When Moses was brought to the cusp of the promised land, to the edge of the promised land, and he so badly wanted to enter in after leading. The nation of Israel. For 40 years. When at times he wanted to die. And he asked God to take his life. And he would sacrifice his own life for his own people because of their sin. 
and now he comes to the promised land. He's on the verge of the promised land. And God says, you're not going to go in, Moses. But I'm going to let you see it from the top of Pisgah. The peak, the summit was Pisgah. The mount was Nebo. You can see it, but you're not going in. Because God is a God of justice. God says what he means and he means what he says. And when Moses, in that one instant, disobeyed the living God, where he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, in his anger, God said, you haven't sanctified me in the eyes of the people and you cannot enter the promised land. That doesn't mean that Moses was not saved, but it was a sanction upon Moses because of his disobedience. We know today, six chapters later, Moses was up in the Mount of Transfiguration. We heard that sermon not long ago from this pulpit. He was there with Elijah and Jesus. We know he was saved, but God means what he says. And so John the Baptist is another great man of God. He ushered in the dawn of the Messiah, but he couldn't be there when the, the, the focus of history was filled, when the climax of history was to occur. But this is what Jesus told his disciples and says, Art thou, when John questioned whether this was Christ or not, he said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show again, John, those things which you do hear and see. I don't believe that Jesus was in any way upset at John. I don't believe that he was indignant that, don't you know by now? Because remember, Jesus lived amongst them. And Jesus felt their pain. He felt their infirmity. He says, just show them what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Now which leader of Israel could do all those things together? Not only perform miracles, but be compassionate and preach the tidings of good news. The, the tidings that John the Baptist was aware that Jesus would preach. Because he was the Messiah. And he said, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And that word offended um, can have various meanings. But perhaps here it means disappointed in me because they're not what I expect. They're not what they expected me to be. Or upset at me because I have the, 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 the power to do things because I've dis displayed it, but I haven't done what they expect me to do. And that is to, to oppose the occupation with violent force. To get rid of the Roman occupation through means of violence. There could be different ways of, of looking at that. But as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go into the wilderness to see? What did you go there? Did you go there to see a reed shaken with the wind? Was John that type of person that was easily swayed? That was blown around by the breeze? I don't think so because we all see that he ended up in prison for the things that he said. That he was not afraid to say to Herod. And what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Someone that lived a life of luxury? Behold, those that are clothed such are in king's houses. You didn't go out to see a man that came here to 
to have a good life, to live in luxury, to live on easy street. But what went ye out for to see a prophet? He was a prophet. He said, but I say more than a prophet. See, John the Baptist would probably be classified as still an Old Testament prophet. Yes, he was written in the New Testament. But he came in the spirit of Elijah. He came in the dress of Elijah. He wore camel's hair, the prophet's clothing. He ate locusts and wild honey. He seemed to be quite a crude man. From all um, descriptions, he was probably a Nazarite who didn't cut his hair, who didn't drink wine, who didn't have time for women. He was dedicated and he had dedicated his life to God. That's a description of an Old Testament prophet. It's a description of Elijah. And, And Jesus even said, if you will receive it, this is the Elijah that was to come. He said, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say, and that was a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, Verily I say unto thee, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Among them that are born of women, there had not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now that was a, a, a huge statement to make. Was he greater than David? Was he greater than Moses? Was he greater than Elijah? According to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, he was. There has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. You know, many of us would think that unless you have your life lived out according to your plans, what's the norm, what's what's the expectations of any normal, if you will, ordinary human being? To be born, to have a wonderful childhood, to get a, a good education, to have a wonderful job. To, to, to be able to support yourself, to get married, to have children raise them, uh, to, to enjoy their, their, your grandchildren, and then to, to go into the golden sunset of your years and retire and just fade out of this life. What did John the Baptist have to look forward to? He died at the age of approximately 30 odd years. What did Jesus have to look forward to? We know what he had to look forward to in in, in Hebrews chapter 12. He looked forward to having many brethren. He despised the cross and the shame because he knew that his death would bring about a family of brothers and sisters living eternally in the kingdom of God. But John the Baptist, you would think it was a, this world would say it was a tragedy, it was a a wasted life. What happened in the end? If you look from the point of view of unregenerate man, yes. If you believe that there is no God, you would think it's wasted. But that's why there, even someone in that does not believe in God, when they see something like this, must say there's something that he really believed in, something that he felt was worth living for and worth dying for. And it's not a matter of how long we live. As Marie Simeon in Regina 
and had on her wall, she lived to 103. But it's a matter of how we live. And whether we gain the whole world, as Jesus said in Matthew 16, but lose our own soul, what is the profit of men? Because these great men of God saw beyond the window of this life. As if they could see through a glass something that was there real now. That if they died now, they would be forever with the Lord. They would enter a glory that cannot compare with the, 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 the temporalness and the vanity of this life. And he says that, notwithstanding, though he was the greatest of all men that ever lived, yet he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Well, you just finished telling us that John the Baptist was the greatest human that ever lived. And now you're telling us that others are greater than he. What does that mean? Well, it can only mean one thing the way I understand the scriptures. That John the Baptist had not yet experienced something that those that were to follow the Messiah would experience that would make them great. And he specifically said, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So who is he that is least in the kingdom of heaven? What was the reason Jesus came? The reason Jesus came was given plainly by the angel Gabriel when he said, and his name shall be Emmanuel. And in another place it says his name, which is God with us. And in another place it says his name shall be Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. What happened later on? We're all aware that Jesus suffered death at the cross. That Jesus died on the cross for our sin and through his death and resurrection from the dead he had not only overcome sin, he had defeated the devil, he had given us an opportunity to with him overcome sin and become the sons and daughters of the living God through the adoption of the Holy Spirit. That's something that John the Baptist did not experience. John the Baptist, as a great a man as he was, could not say that he had the Spirit of God that was living in him and that he was an adopted son doesn't take away from the fact that he was a saved man, but he never experienced that adoption into the family of God as we who live after Christ have. I want to read you a very interesting verse at the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews. Hebrews... Hebrews 11 goes through how faith is what justified and faith is what the early uh, Old Testament saints lived by and they enumerate these saints all the way from Abel all the way to Isaiah and and David and so forth and the sufferings that they went through, um, the terrible um, pain and agony and death. And then it says, of whom the world, verse 38, was not worthy, They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They hadn't received the promise. What was that promise? (coughs) The promise of... You can... 
to take it three different, two different ways or three different ways. The promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the adoption of sons, Even though someone is going through an adoption process, until the adoption process is over and the signatures are done, that man or the child is not considered a legal son or daughter of the family. It was only when Jesus Christ came and gave his life, shed his blood, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out upon his people on the day of Pentecost and then to each other individual as they were saved in the book of Acts and from thence on, the Bible is very clear that the adoption of sons occurs through the Holy Spirit of God, which was in which was with them at the time, but not in them. John 14 is very clear. Jesus said, He is with you, but shall be in you. And this is what this is what John the Baptist had not experienced. But, look what it says in verse 40 of Hebrews 11. God having provided some better thing, some better thing for us, we who are in the dispensation of grace after the death and resurrection of Christ, that they, the Old Testament saints, without us, should not be made perfect. The Old Testament saints were not made perfect until the crucifixion, the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we're a very privileged people. We have promises given to us by the Holy Spirit. We have promises of blessings. Read them in Ephesians chapter 1. We have promises of power over sin. We have promises for, for direction and guidance of who that Holy Spirit is is to us the comforter, the strengthener, the truth, spirit of truth. We have all these blessings and privileges because of the Spirit of God is now living in us. It's just an amazing uh, sequence of events that led to salvation. That's why it was such a mystery to the Jew of the Old Testament. And he says, for all the prophets and the Lord prophesied... Oh, let, let me not skip the, the, the theme verse, if you will. That's why I chose the hymn, and it was chosen, I'm not mistaken, the last week. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, we may say, but Brother Doug, you just finished telling me that Jesus didn't come here to take the kingdom by force, to overcome the Romans, to, to destroy the enemies. Well, I think this is a different type of violence. What it's, if you look up the word, it really means, and it can mean violence, but the root word behind this is exactly the last word in verse 12, force. The kingdom of God suffereth violence or pressing into or forceful seizure of and the forceful take it by force. What does that mean? Does that mean that it's up to you as a human being to do this on your own might and your own power and your own force. When you compare different, different um, vocations in life, when someone wants to become a, a school teacher, for example, you don't become a school teacher by not doing your homework not studying, not seeking to improve your skills and teaching and articulation and whatever it may be. Um, 
This, the, the Apostle Paul gives, a, gives an example in Second Timothy. He says that the soldier of the Lord it must endure hardship. No, no one that is no soldier of the Lord that that wants to fight in his spiritual army, if you will, um, entangles himself with the affairs of this world. Even, you, you remember the, the fable, Aesop's fable about the tortoise and the hare. How the hare felt he has so much superior speed. He can take it easy, he can sleep a little bit, and he's still going to win the race. He lost. Those that seek after the kingdom of God are not for those that want to be in king's houses, live in luxury. And not be unaffected by problems and difficulty and strife and, and the cost of discipleship. Those that want to become in the children of God are not we, reeds that are just blown about for, with this uh, teaching here, with that teaching there, with this fad, with this craze, with this mania, with this attraction in the world. They're steadfast in what they believe in. They stand firm. They don't give up at the first hurdle, at the first barrier, at the first pocket of resistance. They press in to the kingdom of God. I forget which, which person in history that said it, said, give me God or I die. What he's trying to say is here is, You've got to give up all your expectations of what it is like, of the kind of life that you think you need to live. And if you think that being a Christian is living on easy street, you think that being a Christian is, it's all, all of grace and I don't have to do anything because God forgives all my sins, past, present and future, no matter what happens, unconditionally. And I'm, not sure, I'm sure that's not what we believe here, but some do. But being a Christian, those that are serious about entering the kingdom of heaven apply themselves. They know that there's pain involved. They know that there's, there's a cost to pay. But they know that through it all, it's not their, it's not their striving or their, or the efforts that earn them salvation. But rather, them attaining the wisdom of God and the understanding of God through seeking Him with all their heart, mind, soul and strength, no matter what the cost, no matter what the opposition. And Jesus says at the end of chapter 11 here, he says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And many times in our lives we think that we're going through all these difficulties and problems because of our circumstances, because of what other people put in front of us or because life is tough or because I've been raised in this family or because of what he did to me or because of my physical disability or because of, of whatever it may be and you say, well... I didn't put myself here and I and and it's not my fault. And so you give up. If God wants me to be saved, he'll somehow use his mighty power. And this is what some believe. That it's not you, it's just God regenerates you. And you don't have to do anything. But it's contrary to the scripture that Christ gives us in Matthew seven. It says, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. You've got to press, you've got to seek, you've got to knock, you've got to ask. And if you can't find the answer here, go there. If you can't find the answer here, go there. You know what? Go into the Word of God. God promises you, he that seeketh, right after Jesus said those three things, he says, for he that seeketh shall find, he that asks shall be given to him, and he that knocks it shall be opened unto him. Now if that God promises you that, 
And you believe everything else it says in the scripture, but you don't believe that. Then I wonder if you believe everything else in scripture. Because the same Christ that said that said all these other things as well. The same Christ said that said that it will be more tolerable for Chorazin and Bethsaida. Why to the Chorazin and Bethsaida? You'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon because they repented. If, if they would have seen your works, right? They would have long ago repented in sackcloth and ashes if they would have seen my miracles that I did. But you did not. He said that. He said, Woe unto you, Capernaum. You've been exalted to heaven through pride. You'll be brought down to hell. For if the mighty things which had been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. That Christ said that. The same Jesus said that. The same Jesus says, Seek, ye shall find. Knock, it shall be opened. Ask, it shall be given. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's not trying to make you analyze why you're in this hardship, why you're in this difficulty, why life is so difficult. He's not asking you to analyze that. He's asking you to come to him and he'll solve your problem. By taking your focus off your burden and placing it on his shoulders. I'll read a verse in... uh, I think it's in Psalms. There's a couple of verse, couple of beautiful verses that God gives a lot of promise with. Psalm 55 says, "Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved." When, when you cast your burden on the Lord, when you go under his yoke, it may seem that under a yoke the two bear the burden together. They equally shared. But if there was ever an unequal yoke, if there was ever an unequal yoke, that was good. It's when we get under the yoke of Christ. And you don't bear your burden, he does it for you. And he promises, Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest. You don't have to understand You don't have to understand why you're like this and why this is happening. If you commit and surrender everything to him, he promises you that you get rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're all fully familiar with the narrative or the poem, Footsteps. The man that was going through life and he always saw two footsteps when things were going easy in the sand as he traversed. And he knew that one was the Lord's and the other was was his. But when times got tough, when it got very difficult, he, he only saw one set of footsteps and he... And he cried out to Jesus, to God, and he said, I noticed that when times got tough, the two sets of footsteps reduced to one set of footsteps. Where were you in my difficult times? And I believe in the same spirit and tone as his last three verses in in Matthew 11. The response came back. In those times when you were so difficult, 
is when I carried you. Those footsteps were the Lord's. We live in a very confusing, a very trying, a very difficult life. But when we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, everything makes sense. We can't understand everything, but we understand the big plan of God. The big plan of God is that all things are going according to God's will and purpose. Romans 8, 28. Let us not complain like the Pharisees did. John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking. Jesus came eating and drinking and, and they, 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 they both could not, they both had complained about both of them. They were never satisfied. But let us put ourselves under the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ and he promises us peace. As much as he promises judgment to those that reject his will and words, he promises peace and rest because he is the Lord of the Sabbath as well. And he is that rest into which all we will go, those that love the Lord. He promises us that peace. May the Lord bless this word. The song reminded me, the last one we sang about Jacob, when he met the man by the river, I believe it was, and he wrestled with him all night. I believe the, New, the Old Testament, I forget which book it was in, says that was an angel. That, that Jacob wrestled with an angel of God all night. And when you, say, when you say, why would he wrestle with God? Doesn't he know that he's going to lose? But God saw through that Jacob's great desire to be blessed. His name was Jacob. And after the wrestling all night, he had prevailed and his name was ch changed to Israel because he strove with God and overcame. And God wants us not to challenge him to a competition, but he wants us to approach him and plead with him and, and have communion with him in prayer and he wants us to he wants to bless us through that i pray that all that do not know him yet as lord and savior would do the same and even those that do know him that we don't think that our job and mission is complete we need to keep on approaching the throne of god with that mind and god will bless us to him be the glory evermore this concludes our service.